the IBM Z applications and runtime podcasts. Your place to get the news, trends and direction for mainframe runtimes and environments. Hello and welcome to another episode in our podcast series, Application Platform Talks. If you've been with us on this journey over the last year or so, then thank you and hope you found good value in it. If you haven't, then this is where we chat to experts involved with the runtimes and they talk about topics in their areas of expertise. Now, I don't do this myself, and I'm joined by Tobias Leiger from Germany. So, Toby, as always, a joy to work with you. It's a pleasure. Hi, Nick. And now, today, we are joined by a special guest, Isabel Arnold, who, I have to confess, has got one of the most impressive titles I've come across, and I'll have to read it out verbatim. She is the Innovation Lead and Technical Advisor for IBM Crypto Competence Center. And she's going to give us some insight into what this entails and what her journey was to get there. So, Isabel, thank you for giving us your time today. Thank you for the introduction. I'll, I'll explain how I got to that title a little later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I look forward to that. Thank you. Now, just a little bit of housekeeping before we get going. This recording will be made available at ibm.biz forward slash zpodcasts. And you'll find many more podcasts related to other aspects and areas of IBM Z there. So now to kick off, Isabel, before we go into your current role, let's hear a little bit about Isabel and how you became involved with mainframe computers. That was basically all just a big coincidence. I was doing my education with IBM. So in Germany, we have a, a dual university where you spend half of the time at a corporate university and half of the time in IBM. So I had done that. And after three years, I was done. I never, never seen a mainframe, never touched a mainframe. Uh, I only knew they existed because they dragged us to the lab. And I, I knew that Z was for zero downtime, but that was basically it. And then I was looking for a job. And then there was this job offer, a technical sales for mainframe software. And I basically just applied because it had technical in it. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, it was, it was for the, for the, we were a whole year of people that were looking for jobs. So it was okay to apply for jobs um, and go to the interview and say, okay, now, now you tell me about the job uh, that I'm applying for. And yeah, I got the job. Um, I got started with it. Uh, I got some education in the beginning. And then also I got assigned kicks. So again, it was a coincidence. It could have been a DB2. It could have been web application server or portal. And it was just a lucky, yeah, a lucky coincidence that I got assigned to kicks and doing technical sales for kicks. So you literally came into IBM and mainframes, and that was your first actual working with mainframes, uh, although you'd heard of them. Yeah, in 2004. And um, I was just optimistic. I, it, if it's technical, I can probably learn it. So <laughs> I, was, I was optimistic. And uh, I mean, I did learn COBOL. It's not, um, it's not rocket science. I just approached it with, I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, that's how I got into kicks. And I still remember the first course I had um, by uh, Jutta Fels. Some Germans might remember her because she had educated a lot of people in uh, in kicks and other topics. And in German, the word nothing rhymes on kicks. 
So the first thing I learned about kicks was if you see nothing, it's kicks. <laughs> Siehst du nix, ist es kicks. I exactly. heard that as well. <laughs> yeah. That was my first contact with kicks. And uh, some, some things just stick. That's right. So after a few years working with Kit, how did things go? Yeah, I think I've spent, oh, when did I leave? 2017, so five years ago, I left Kicks, but not the mainframe. And the only reason I did that was because I, I left Germany. So my, my boyfriend, who I also met in IBM in the mainframe context, so it's just a, <laughs> a place where you can meet people. And um, he's from Denmark. And at some point, we had to decide which country we want to live in. So I gave Denmark a try. So five years ago, I moved to Denmark. I stayed with the mainframe, but uh, they actually needed more urgently people for, for DevOps, for um, modern development tools on the mainframe. So after coming to Denmark for two years, I've been working in technical sales for yeah, development software. It wasn't too much of a transition because I've been using those products myself because I refused to program mainframe stuff with 30 to 70. So I've been user of these products for quite a long time. And then why not help customers using them? And that's what I did when I arrived here in Denmark for two years. Before. And then before you actually got there, I mean, uh, that was when, when we, we at a very late uh, encounter met. But but there, when you were working in Kicks, I think the important thing was also that you were not just doing the same stuff everyone else did, but you did, did, you did the more modern stuff, did you? So we had Charlie back yeah. then. Uh, yeah. who was an old colleague who, who did more the classical kick stuff, system programming, control blocks and stuff. And and you did kind of the, the modern things, did you? Yeah, at that time, service-oriented architecture was modern. I feel I feel very much like a boomer now, but uh, I, I still count as a millennial, I learned. But um, yeah, service-oriented architecture was a new thing and kicks had support for that, uh, for, for the SOAP protocol. And that was new and great and um, I've been all over Germany showing people how to uh, yeah, create those service interfaces and drag kicks from the mainframe into that into that architecture that was before before we had cloud and all the other things. That was the first topic that uh, I got on and that, that also stuck with me. I, uh, I was writing two red books about it and uh, it's always good to have such a new topic that uh, you can make your own and uh, yeah, get, get, use that to get into it and also to get known for it, uh, to make that a bit of your of your brand. And I think at some point at that time, I also coined my, my username Kixabel. I must have been around that time. Nice. And so so what you also did at the time, I remember at least, because that was when, when, when we, or at least I heard of you, I've never met you to that point and we've come to a little story a little later, but I think at that time you also started to give a lot of conference talks on convincing people that this mainframe doesn't need to be just the 30 to 70 thing that everyone knows about, but, but you also had some, some fun talks on how to do it different. Yeah, exactly. That was fun times. I've, I've always tried to say uh, the mainframe is what is, but the way you interact with it can be, the way you want it can be the editors and the interfaces you want it. The average age is still relatively high also at conferences. So um, I was trying to make make the talks a bit more fun, a bit more interesting. And so I, I started to yeah just come up with fun titles. Might have been a bit inspired by you, Nick. You also like fun titles for conferences. I remember that. So I was 
trying to advertise for that and uh, teaming up with other people. So I had a colleague in his 60s. So we were doing a double presentation, Old Stature versus Greenhorn, where we both showed the way we work with the mainframe, my modern graphic user interface based one, his traditional one, and then uh, kind of met in the middle to have tools that supported both. Or I teamed up with, um, with a female colleague of my age and we did a presentation Two Girls and Big Iron, where she was doing the hardware, I was doing the software part. And I remember that the room was sold out. People were queuing just because of the title, they were queuing to get into the room. So there was a thing that people appreciate having a bit of a fresh angle and also angle and also a bit of a fun angle to things, to the point that later I started a YouTube channel where we just did fun mainframe songs. So we, for example, took My Sharona and turned that into My Mainframe or uh, the Teenage Dirtbag for the people around the 2000 change. So we always tried to bring a bit of the fun in there. And also if, if you have fun with something, the information sticks much, much better than when you just look at slides with text, text, text. I remember my first conference, the Transaction and Messaging Technical Conference, I think it was called, where I saw a Kix presentation, first a Kix upgrade presentation from 2.2.2.2.3, and then a ThreadSafe presentation. And that was just text slides. And I was I was really a bit desperate, like, oh no, I'm, I don't understand that. I'll never get that. And all those text slides uh, put me to sleep. So I always try to find find different angles to transport it to the people and make the information stick that I have. Also, I can validate that. I was um, <laughs> looking after one of your sessions at, in the Nordics when it was the early days of cloud. And I got all the feedback forms and I got from, and I know the person quite well who, who did the feedback and I, I would really respect his judgment. And he said that was simply the best presentation I've seen on cloud. It really explains it well. And having sat through the presentation, it was nothing like the other presentations I'd seen, It which was really, well, we're a mainframe. We've been cloud for years and years and years, full stop. You really, you brought it out with interesting graphics and you explained it really well. So I would absolutely endorse what you, you've said there. Thank you. It goes both ways. If if I'm having fun, the audience is having fun, hopefully. <laughs> Otherwise, yes. at least I'm having fun. And I felt funny because at that time I started then 2008-ish uh, at, at IBM and I had some experience with, with mainframes already. And then someone said, so yeah, now you need to install this kicks thing and you need to ask <laughs> uh, Isabel Arnold. And I met her once actually at uh, my first CBIT, which was my first internship in IBM. <clears throat> And there, I remember you did some RDZ things and this to me always kind of magic. Dennis was there. So it was um, people I didn't knew at the time and technology I had no idea about. So it was a lot of uh, complex things. And then I, I knew that you're the big the big person in kicks. So I always was thinking, so I should call you. And then I called you and you said, yeah, just call me tonight. I will be then in my car. And I will never forget that in my head that meant, so Isabel, the great expert of kicks is then driven by some chauffeur somewhere and sits in the back of her car and, and talks to me, which I found very pleasing and interesting. And uh, and that actually took ages till I found out that it was not like this, but you were actually driving the car yourself and you used like a Bluetooth headset with it. But that was like, uh, that was our first real contact then. 
which is crazy enough over 10 years now. Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> it's just funny because I, I probably was the big person in Kicks, but uh, there was not a lot of competition for this position. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, indeed. So now you actually convinced me, so I joined you. And then uh, soon after, you actually you went to something that I never got, which is uh, security, then you said, is it? So, so now that you work in a crypto center, What is someone doing in a crypto center? Yeah, I, I have to tell you how they got me because I was never interested in security myself. I always, that was the tedious part that I tried to avoid. And here in Copenhagen, we have something that is called the Copenhagen Crypto Competency Center. So four C's if they abbreviate themselves. And they had asked me to, hey, do you want to come work for us? And uh, I was like, okay, what, what am I supposed to do there and then i'll never forget that they said what you think is right and important and that's why they had my attention so that was a, a very interesting job offer and uh, it's also the only development department we have in denmark and i didn't even know they existed so part of mm -hmm. my job was to make them known outside of the the little corner they were in and then yeah basically do what i think is important and I very much enjoyed that freedom and I'm still enjoying it today because I think they're doing great stuff. I'm doing my best to make that known across IBM and make us work with others. And in addition to that, it's not the whole security thing. So yes, it's that still is a bit tedious, but it's a very specific <laughs> part of that, which is crypto. And When I tell people at the bar uh, crypto, they always ask, oh, you're doing Bitcoins now. Everything, everything except for that. So uh, encrypting and decrypting messages and then basically making sure that you don't lose the key. So we're doing a lot of key management services with banks where it's in particularly bad when you lose your key. It's always bad when you lose your key. But um, especially there, they have very high security standards with uh, secure rooms where two people need to get in there to have access. I, I'm still ready. I said, we totally have to do a video where I hang from the ceiling like Tom Cruise hacking into a terminal. I still want to do that. But, um, <laughs> but um, it's, it's, it's an interesting area which is very focused around keys, which is where I finally, after many years, transitioned my nickname from Kixabel to Keysabel. Ooh, fancy. So, so you will stick around there a bit. So I think you found then some things that you found interesting to change. So, so how did that feel? And I mean, how did you finally end up with your fancy title then? It was after I had that job offer and then I accepted it, I was sitting down with my manager and because you need to have some title, you need to write somewhere what you're doing in your mail signature on, on LinkedIn. So we basically looked at that Excel sheet of potential titles. And just, um, yeah, that sounds about right. And you probably do this too. So those were innovation lead and technical advisor. And uh, <laughs> that's how I got to my title. There was an Excel sheet and we looked what matched. That is unfortunately the only story behind it. But I'm, I'm really doing what you might think in those categories. So for the innovation lead, I was working, of course, with the team to drag our product into the cloud. So the key management that was basically on the mainframe only or in the secure room to make that accessible for cloud users as well. So to bring the greatness of the mainframe to anyone and have the mainframe in the cloud hidden behind fancy titles so people don't get uh, scared off by old stereotypes that this might be old. 
So that was one thing that I've been doing and also an awful lot of collaboration work across IBM because yeah, many people have not heard about the crypto center and it's really, really important that we, we work together within IBM to have one solution, one face to the customer and have our products interact with each other instead of everybody reinventing the wheel, which is something that just automatically happens when you are in your, in your own bubble. I'm trying to avoid mm. that. Interesting. So, 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 what would you categorize your your day to day work then? It's more like an architectural work on on making things working together. Then is it? Yes, architectural. Um, even though on a very high level, um, a lot of a lot of politics because anytime people get something new and uh, try somebody else's work instead of continuing with their own, that means needs some convincement and some trust to be built up. Um, but also all the way uh, down to the to the basics, like improving our install process, automating that, bringing in a bit of my DevOps knowledge. So at least I can reuse the DevOps knowledge, not so much of the Kicks knowledge, but uh, I'm, I'm trying to get my department the modern tools that they need uh, because we have basically one mainframe developer and the rest is, yeah, they, they develop with containers on distributed platforms. I'm really trying to make it easier to, to bridge that world and uh, make life easier for our one mainframe developer so he doesn't have to do everything manually if he gets a request. Reminds me very much of um, the times times in Germany where we also had our, our colleague Marcel Amrain, um, you all remember him hopefully, where he had that deep down knowledge and was the, the administrator for so many things. So I'm, I'm trying to yeah, automate some of the tasks that he's doing so he can have a bit of more free time and can go on vacation without uh, being afraid that stuff might stop working. Crazy. So you've been now, how long How long have you been already now in Denmark? Five years. Five years already. And I think you are meanwhile fluent in Danish, are you? Oh, yes. <laughs> It's impressive to me always. Uh, Uh, especially, I mean, when I started, I remember that uh, you were so easy, like switching German to English because you, you made like this German videos with, I think, what, what, what release was that, Nick? Was that release 4.2 or something where we had these fancy videos in the sunken gardens and stuff? Oh, that, I think that was 3.1 and 3.2. Oh, uh, I've still got that video, Isabel, by the way, and I've got the outtake. Yes. The outtakes. Well, I, and I think I think I saw the outtakes one, and Isabel was like speaking very fluently German, and then switching in a half sentence to English. And I find that always like because when I switch, it's always like horrible. <laughs> you get you get used to it. But uh, I have to admit, having three languages in my daily day, yeah, I, I sometimes mess up things, or I, I like I like the word in one language, and I I did learn French at some point in time, and that is completely overridden. So anytime I'm fishing for the Danish word, uh, for the English, for the French word, see there goes, for the French word, then the, the Danish word comes up. But learning Danish, it is a bit of, it feels a bit like cheating. If you know German and English, you can read most of the words. It's just a pronunciation. Uh, so you can read a lot and then put a potato in your mouth and get slightly drunk and then uh, it's something. <laughs> Oh, that is probably that's, yeah that's probably a, a very <laughs> amazing description of the Danish language so I'm looking forward if someone from Denmark listens to us what you would say to that <laughs> yes I, I can yeah, just nice. give you an example uh, to say something very um, 
Jeg vil nok, at nu sidder vi her og drikker en dejlig øde og spiser rødgrød med fløde. Så jeg har sagt, I'm just saying, now we're sitting here and uh, drink a nice beer and eat red porridge with cream, which is the, the Danish tongue twister, where they can figure out, are you a real Dane or not? Because no foreigner can pronounce that without a failure. And you are probably, meanwhile, getting as a real Danish? No, no, no. I'll I'll never lose my accent. I, <laughs> it's not gonna happen. I mean, they use that at the German-Danish border to find spies. That's something, if you're not born here, you probably never get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I'm still impressed uh, being the person that only speaks one other language except German. And that probably also, like my German, not totally perfect. So I'm still very impressed that you managed to do that in five years. And you had to learn the local dialect around Stuttgart. Oh yeah, that's true. And uh, yeah, I, I still can, I, I'm still trying, Isabel, but I'm still not as good as as I wanted to. <laughs> so Nick, I think we're at the end of our time already, are we? I think we are, and it's been a great journey. Very interesting. I, Isabel, I was waiting for the comedy store um, advert, or, or or talking about sock puppets, but I think you filled it very well indeed. And so thank you very much for giving up the time. Please keep the interesting presentations going because I think you've probably got a lot of scope in crypto and security to make that a bit more accessible. And maybe that's where the sock puppets come in. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Thank you ever so much. Keep the sock puppets. <laughs> so, um, for more of these IBM Z podcasts, ranging from DevOps, application development, and of course, these uh, application platform talks, please check out ibm.biz forward slash podcasts now from nick and toby and isabel it's goodbye and i hope to see you next time thanks bye bye